Hello and welcome back to Greenlee, the podcast where we talk about pollution and racism and how that all ties together. And more importantly, what we can do as members of that community. Today, we have a very special guest by the name of Professor Melinda Laituri of Colorado State University. Um, so, Professor Laituri, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, thanks for the opportunity to be part of this podcast. Um, I'm, a, I'm actually a recent retiree from Colorado State University. I was in the Department of Ecosystem Science and Sustainability, and also the founding member, one of the founding members of our Center for Environmental Justice at uh, CSU. Um, I'm a geographer by training, and I do work uh, using participatory mapping which means that I work with many different kinds of people, many different groups of people, many different cultures around the world to discuss issues with respect to environmental management, water management, things that have to do with the community, uh, community issues that people want to address and address it from a spatial perspective. Wow, so you're like an all-rounder. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect, Uh, roll the intro music. So in this week's podcast, we're going to talk about pollution and racism and how that all ties together. And believe it or not, I I didn't know that there's a term for this. But when I first heard of it, I thought to myself, like, how does the environment discriminate? Right? Because I think that that is what someone thinks of when they hear the term environmental racism. And so I went on Google and I searched up the definition and I was completely astonished when I searched it up. For the ones that are listening, the definition of environmental racism is, it refers to how minority group neighborhoods populated primarily by people of color and members of low socioeconomic backgrounds are burdened with disproportionate numbers of hazards including toxic waste facilities, garbage dumps, and other sources of environmental pollutions. And what was crazy is the fact that it's everywhere, and we all see see it. It's not native to just the U.S., but I myself have seen it in other countries. For example, India. Um, we are from an Indian origin, and I think uh, we went to India back, in January of 2020, before this whole coronavirus and um, quarantine occurred. And um, what I saw while driving through the roads of India were slums. And a slum is usually a highly populated urban residential area that consists of mostly um, closed packed housing units that are like very poor in infrastructure and they're inhabited primarily by impoverished people. And I searched up the statistics for these slums, and there are 65 million people who live in the 108,000 slums all across India. And in those slums, I saw um, I saw garbage everywhere. I saw that they didn't have access to proper waste disposal units. They didn't have access to water or or even food for that matter. And so my question to you, Professor, is 
how does environmental racism play out in our day-to-day lives? Although that's a very that's a very broad question, and there's lots of things to think about with respect to that. So, so first of all, I think environmental racism has always been embedded in social structures. Um, we can talk about it as racism, but environmental racism is just how racism is sort of manifested on the landscape. In terms of what you just mentioned, the disproportionate impacts that people of color and low-income people have faced with respect to um, having bad things happen to them, where are hazardous waste sites located, um, why, does, why do, are there so many places that um, poorer people live that don't have adequate services? Uh, this is all part of the institutional structure in many places around the world with respect to how governments uh, manage land use and land cover, with respect to how um, rules are implemented in different places. And so many people fall through the cracks. There's no safety net for them. They have to figure out ways to live. The other thing I would comment about this is that this is differential around the world. It's different groups of people everywhere around the world that uh, experience environmental racism in different ways. So it's not just one, when we say um, poor people, when we say people of color, we know that that involves many, many different types of people in different places. And so that's very important to think that way. All right. But are those who live in a underdeveloped country more affected by those who live in a developed country? Um, I think that's something for us to unpack a little bit. Um, I think that, yes, many poor countries have problems with getting adequate services to much of their population. And many places have lots of poor people that just don't um, have the, the adequate services that, that they need. However, I would just think, reflect upon the pandemic that we're experiencing right now and the kinds of things that are happening in the United States where we're having increasing levels of homelessness, we're having increasing levels of people having adequate access to appropriate facilities. They're being evicted from places they live in. They're having their water supply shut off. Maybe and sometimes their heat and electricity are being shut off. So there's comparisons that we can make between developed and developing countries, between low-income countries and between some places rich as the United States, but recognizing that these issues of environmental racism can be found everywhere and can affect these very vulnerable populations. So is it okay to say that the consequences sort of vary based on the country itself? Yes, I think that's a, a fair thing to, to state. I, I don't want us to um, make too generalized or blanket statements about these concepts of environmental racism uh, because, because they are place specific. And we do need to recognize in different places, there's different actors that are responsible for this uh, as opposed to sort of just saying, well, it's a problem with the economy. It's the problem with the institutions. There's specificities across these institutions in different countries that create these conditions. So, can one of those causes or specificities be politicians? Yes, 
Absolutely. I mean, politicians oftentimes set the stage. And while many politicians in, in democratically elected governments are supposed to speak for the people, uh, sometimes the, the agendas get um, turned in different ways than, than we might anticipate. And so we have problems with that. And so it's the responsibility not only of the government, but also the people to be sure that we hold our leaders accountable to why we might vote them into office. So I guess it would be unfair to say that politicians are ignoring it, right? Um, I don't think they are ignoring it. I, I think there have been efforts to try to address issues related to environmental racism. You know, in the uh, United States, we have a program in the Environmental Protection Agency that deals with environmental justice in particular. It provides grants for communities to try to address issues within their different locations that have to do with the very issues we're talking about. Um, how successful they are, that's the question. And do they really address the issues that the community really thinks are that important? That's where the devil is in the details. Okay. I see. But what are the visible results of the efforts of the politicians? Well, I think anything that has to do with uh, some of the environmental regulations that we see, um, you know, trying to ensure that um, we have limitations on the amount of lead in the atmosphere. You know, we got rid of lead gasoline. That was a huge win for the environmental movement because we know how dangerous lead is for for the population, particularly young children. So there are some success stories here, but they're not ubiquitous. They, they haven't occurred everywhere. And if anything, there's probably many more situations that are going on um, where people are becoming more, um, I think, enabled to protest um, the, the results of bad things happening in their environment. I think another clear example is uh, what has gone in, on in Flint, Michigan, where they couldn't even drink the water supply there due to bad decisions by politicians. And these politicians are being held accountable now by being um, having are being sued and are being charged with, you know, uh, crimes, essentially. So so these are some of that's probably the, the, the best case scenario in terms of trying to get some resolution. But there are bigger programs in place to try to ensure that maybe we can resolve this to not have more bad things keep happening. Okay, I understand that politicians are working within boundaries, but what about those who are socioeconomically higher? Are they trying to improve the effects of environmental racism or are they making it worse because they see a benefit in it for themselves? That's another difficult question. It kind of depends on some of these things. I, I think um, probably, yes, in some cases that's happening because the type of projects, if we're talking about a hazardous waste facility being situated in a, in a particular location, um, who's, whose benefit is it? You know, who's gonna, who's gonna benefit from this project? Um, well, the company that's trying to get that hazardous waste facility in place, right? And so maybe there has to be permits that have to be acquired by that um, facility and how do they have relationships with the politicians in order to get those permits in place following certain rules and regulations 
that maybe don't take adequate um, take into adequate account the needs of the community, the voices of the local people with respect to saying we don't really want this uh, near our community. All right, Professor. I think we can both agree that environmental racism is an issue that we constantly see in our day-to-day lives. And it is a very complex issue since we need to understand the intersection between environmental issues such as climate change and racism, right? So my question to you is, how can we get people to understand the gravity of environmental racism in hopes that it will make them raise their voices? So I I think there's a couple of things that can happen. One is by raising awareness of this very issue, just as you mentioned at the beginning, how you learned about it and making people understand that this is going on and it's not just their one community, but there's many places that this is occurring. I think that's one avenue forward. I think increasing the level of participation and education for many community members, as well as young people, as well as um, just across the board, ensuring that people understand how the inequities in the environment um, are occurring in a way that it's affecting some people more than others. And how do we begin to address that that very important issue? Um, I think another avenue is also, you know, making sure that you're partnering with other entities, figuring out, you know, who is who are funding these kinds of things that are helping people study these, who, who are funding efforts to um, make sure that there can be campaigns and promotion events to raise awareness, finding those things out and being able to participate. And do you think that kids can do something? Because I think that kids are the ones who should be speaking up, right? Because they are the type of people who are unbiased. And I think when they see that there's something wrong in our society, they feel it. They they deeply feel it. And so here at Greensleep, for example, we take plastic bags, we take the waste that we find, and we turn it into something that people can use. Uh, we turn into plastic bags for the homeless. And for the kids that are listening to this, what advice would you give them? How can we open their eyes and sort of show them that this is the world that we are living in? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think kids are absolutely relevant to this particular issue and should be included in the dialogue and the uh, efforts forward to try to resolve some of these problems. Uh, I, I work all over the world and I have done trainings and education using geospatial technologies and doing mapping projects with young people all over. And I am so impressed with their passion and their ability to try to address problems and their dedication to um, making things better for the future. So my experience has, has taught me that I'm, I'm actually quite optimistic about the future because of the young people that I've had the privilege to work with around the world. So you, you're basically saying that our generation, us kids, we are the solution to problems such as environmental racism? 
you're the future of the world and you're going to inherit a lot of the issues that are going on right now. Now, that's not to say that the other generations and other people aren't going to be part of this, this solution, but definitely young people are going to be critical to figuring out these next steps. So there's all kinds of organizations besides yours around the world that are also doing really incredible work. Uh, for example, one is Youth Mappers, and they're using geospatial tools to try to create um, solve problems that have to do with place-based problems and making maps of those and talking to decision makers and uh, reaching out to include the community and how they're addressing the problems that are situated in that location. So there's, there's lots of exciting activity that's going on right now that people and particularly young people can participate in. Definitely. Um, I also have one more question for you. What do you have to say to those who feel like environmental racism or any sort of problem regarding the environment is not their problem? Um that uh, <laughs> the issues with the environment is everybody's problem because we have a shared community on this very singular and unique planet. Um, and we have to recognize that responsibility. But again, I wanna emphasize that, you know, it's different in different places and some places are gonna need more assistance than other places. Some places are more responsible for what's happened than other places. And so being able to um, make sure that people understand the, the differential aspects of what we're talking about is really critical. I, I agree, I agree 100%. I think that also ties back with, um, that also ties back with when you mentioned that some countries uh, have, some countries are being affected more um, by what's going on in them. And that's ultimately affecting those, the citizens, specifically those who are affected by environmental racism. And I think that you brought up a very good point there. Um, I think, I also believe that there are many organizations that are trying to help uh, protect the environment, protect the people. And um, guys, uh, listeners, if if you do feel something for the environment, please, please, please do something about it. Raise your voice. Every voice matters. Um, I, I found a quote, and I just want to conclude with that. Uh, this is a quote by Albert Einstein. He said that, in matters of truth and justice, there is no difference between large and small problems for issues concerning the treatment of people are all the same. Thank you so much, Professor Laitori. Uh, guys, go check her out. Go check her workout. Also, go check us out on Instagram at The Greensleep Project. You can also check out our website at www.thegreensleepproject.org. Again, a huge thank you to Professor Laitori for coming out and talking to us, and we'll see you next week.